on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. It's pretty instantaneous, you know, that first call, we found out she was a professor and I was an instructional designer by trade in my past life. And this overwhelming need to educate others and create a forum for new private lenders, because I, the reason Alex created the, the forum was exactly what I was looking for seven, eight years ago when I was starting my company. And there was no place. I was kind of lonely. So she wow. and I just hit it off immediately and decided that we would go on this campaign to educate the world on private lending. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. All right, everybody. I'm Chaz Wolf back with you this week. I've got Alec, Alex Brashears and Beth Johnson. We got two queens on the Kings stage today. Ladies, welcome. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for having us. Doing awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so this is a this is a first having not only we like to have queens on the king stage. We'll talk about this in here in a second, but you know, gathering the kings, it's not a it's not a masculine thing, it's a mindset. And so that's why you guys are here. We're we're anxious to hear your mindset, but having two queens on the same show, this is a first in Gathering the King's history. So I'm super jacked. Ladies, tell us what kind of business that you have and what it is that you're up to. So we do a couple different things, but mainly we are very much about education in private lending, which is kind of basically playing the bank in real estate. You know, you get to, everybody played Monopoly as a kid. We're playing adult Monopoly, which is kind of fun. So we realized quickly kind of during the pandemic when the world kind of shut down that there wasn't a community of private lenders. Like there's nowhere for us to kind of come together. Like there's landlord associations and there's, you know, fix and flip groups on Facebook, but there wasn't anything for people like Beth and I to kind of come together and talk shop. And what are you doing? What are you seeing? And, you know, what do you do in this situation with this borrower? So we actually met through a Facebook group that I created during the pandemic and we just kind of, wow. we hit it off and then we started writing a book together. And then, you know, we met in person, like, well, after the book was pretty much done, we're like, oh, I'll fly out to Seattle. I guess we should meet in person since we're publishing <laughs> a book together. Yeah. It was pretty instantaneous. You know, that first call, we found out she was a professor and I was an instructional designer by trade in my past life. And this overwhelming need to educate others and create a forum for new private lenders, because I the reason Alex created the, the forum was exactly what I was looking for seven, eight years ago when I was starting my company and there was no place. I was kind of lonely. So she wow. and I just hit it off immediately and decided that we would go on this campaign to educate the world on private lending. That's awesome. And so, so a book is coming, it sounds like. It hasn't been launched yet or it has? It has not been launched yet. It's coming okay. out with, through Bigger Pockets and it will be available on July 28th. Nice. What's, it, what's, what's the name of the book? You got to get give us the details here. Oh, Beth, you're going to have to do the, to do the name. <laughs> it's called Lend to Live, Earn Hassle-Free Passive Income in Real Estate with Private Money Lending. There you go. Well, I cannot wait to dig into this conversation. But my question before we dig into your history, ladies, is this, and I want you both to answer this one. 
at this stage in the game, right? Because we only invite owners at the seven-figure level or above. And so you guys are queens in the business because of that. That's per our guidelines, if you will. My question is, at this stage, people see you, you're successful, you've made it. Well, why do you continue to push even now? For me, I'm a military spouse. And literally for the last 21 years, I've been called a dependent That is what all military children, military spouses are referred to as as dependents. And that bugs the crap out of me. So for me, I would like to be seen in my military spouse community or just the military affiliated community and say, look, she can do it as a military spouse. I've moved 20 times in 21 years. I can, if I can do it, you know, anybody else can do it. Yeah, that's incredible. What about you, Beth? I think the same, you know, having struggled through the challenges of being an accidental entrepreneur, not planning on getting into a business and kind of being force fed it. Because when you're a private lender, you're probably one of the most popular people in the room because everybody, you know, in real estate needs private capital. And so it just came at me so hard and so fast. And I felt so lonely, especially as a woman in a predominantly man, male industry that I, I just felt compelled to help create a space for others to not feel so lonely on their journey. Yeah. It's so incredible. I'm hearing, you know, purpose in both of these, obviously that's what the question entails, but, but similar, but yet different. It's this like creating space for you, for people like you both, obviously you guys are in like this, this, this deep need to educate or to help others. And so obviously that pushes you guys, which is really cool. So let's, let's go back in the history a little bit. And as you guys have been building the business, I'm curious, like maybe how business started. You mentioned Beth, like an, an accidental entrepreneur. Is there a story there? Like help us understand how you got started. There's always a story. So I was freshly divorced. I was a single mother of two doing some consulting in the tech industry. Just wanted to have some fun and re-engage in my life and, and really build up again, emotionally and financially. I'd kind of starting from scratch and I'd gone on a date with my now husband who had been in the mortgage industry and done private lending and flipping in his past life. He's 10 years older. So he had some more experience under his belt. And we just kind of bonded over real estate and troubled relationships really. And on one of the first dates, he brought up the term private money and I had done flips. I'd been a landlord before, but I never really heard that term. I'd never heard of hard money. I got loans from my, my parents. They were very kind and generous in doing so for us so that we could build generational wealth, but I didn't understand it. So I went back and Googled it, (laughs) believe it or not. And uh, when he said he wanted to start it back up again, I said, sure, I'll help you. I think I was pretty naive about that whole concept at at the time, but it just kind of exploded into something I really wasn't prepared for. So, yeah, that's awesome. Do you think that that story, whether it's like the spouse or, you know, a partnership sometimes like the, the relationship that you just described there of kind of getting sucked in almost like accidentally you wanted to, but like you, you were naive. You said like, if you had known what you know now, would, would that have kept you or would that have made you more hesitant or what, what would you like, how that moment had been different? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm learning to embrace the unknown. I think private lending, you sort of have to, because you're not going to know every, every variable there is on a deal or a borrower. And for a former recovering control freak like me, I've learned (laughs) to accept that, you know, so I don't think I would have done anything differently. I probably would have tried in vain to prepare better for it, but I just don't know if you really can. And at the time there wasn't really any sort of resources that Alex and I are offering now to incoming private lenders who are on the same journey. And most of the people we talk to, I think Alex can tell you, because she's talked to dozens and dozens of private lenders across the country. 
they all have a similar story to me. It, they kind of just fell on it in happenstance. It wasn't really planned unless you were going to start a private debt fund, which makes sense, right? And you were in the financial services industry. Most just kind of somehow accidentally have a conversation over wine with a friend or keep hearing their coworker talk about private lending. And it just, that's what, that's how it starts. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think in general, that's how a lot of business starts. I, right before we got to talking or right before we hit the record button, I was telling you guys about one of my partners. He cuts my hair and I'm the last guy. He's, he's cut all of his other clients out because he has all these other things going on. And it just over the course of seven, eight years has led to lots of conversation or the glass of wine that you mentioned. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs stumble into that glass of wine. You know what I mean? Well, I think and more so, of them need to hear about it too, just because everyone talks about having purpose and putting out to the universe what you want. But quite frankly, that can give you some blinders about like, I'm going to go down this path and do X, Y, and Z, but you might be, you know, staving off some sort of opportunity that you didn't even know about. So right. as a on, accidental entrepreneur, I love hearing that because I felt kind of like I was in a deficit because I didn't have a plan. Yeah. None at all. So, yeah. What would you say? And, and either you feel feel free to jump in here, but what would you say to the entrepreneur right now who's listening, who, and maybe that's, maybe that's part of why they're not growing is because they they're a little bit all over the place, right? A little bit in their own way, a little bit of no plan, or at least a feeling of no plan. What would you say to that person who's feeling that way now that you've maybe once before felt, but, but have like the, the confidence now, what would you say? I would just say, stick with it and, and, um, find someone or, or resource. I had several resources that I was able to tap into to help me really focus. I think that it's super easy to get overwhelmed with all of the different things that you could be improving, growing. There's this intensity, especially in the real estate world to want to hit some sort of superlative, right? I want to get to 10 X this, I want to get to a thousand doors in two years. And so there's this applied pressure that's really self-imposed. And so I think it's just trying to become a little bit more centered and focused on just dealing with one thing at a time. And what's that one single thing that can help propel your business to another level. And it doesn't have to be like a huge level could just be a small step, but we can often get overwhelmed. And I'm somebody that I've realized now starting a business, I'm super high anxiety. Didn't really realize that before. I just thought I would, I just call myself intense and, and when you, when, when I figure that out, I realize I do definitely have some limitations, you know, I'm a working mom and I have other priorities in my life too. So I have to give myself permission to say, I'm only going to do this small amount this one day or this month. And that's okay. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a, what a deep revelation, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in being busy because of that. So they have this anxiety or this feeling of that I need to do more and, let's just be honest. Let's just put a pause on that for a second. A lot of entrepreneurs just need to do more, you know, <laughs> you know, they, they need to, they need to get more leads. They need to work more deals. They need to call more people. They need to, they need to do more. But for the folks that are, are doing, and they are doers, sometimes like you're saying, it's actually to slow down, to be intentional about what you're spending time on and not doing things for the sake of being busy, but for the sake of, is this thing moving me forward or does it align with where I'm going? And does it help me get what I want? It's I would a hard say thing to navigate. Go ahead. Yeah, Alex. I mean, it really is. I would I would say to best point, you know, trying to hit those artificial markers, that's yeah. like that's never been one of my markers. Like I started all of this because I wanted passive income to get a horse. That sounds insanely <laughs> stupid to other real estate people. They're like, why don't you yeah. just go out and buy a horse? I'm like, no, it's got to be paid for by passive income. Passive income. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
So it's, it's really, you have to sit down and go, you know, okay, what am I actually doing for, you know, doing all this for? And then also something that a lot, I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't take into consideration at all is time commitment. They want to do all the things, but they don't necessarily have the time availability to do all the things. So they end up on this hamster wheel treadmill of busyness because they have, they aren't saying a no enough or they just keep adding to the to-do list, but they don't actually look and see if there's anyone else that could take over that item and take that off their to-do list and put it on somebody else's. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, what I have found is that there's a stage of growing a business, especially at the beginning to a certain period of time. There's no designated specific time, but there's this period of time where you have to say yes. It's yes and then figure it out, right? Yes, figure it out. Yes to a podcast. Yes to this. Yes to a meeting. Yes to an event. Yeah, just yes, 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 yes. And you figure out the details. But at some point to your, to your, your two points there, you have to either begin removing things from your plate and you can still say yes. And then eventually you have to start saying no. And with aggressiveness, like, like a fervent, like, no, this is my conviction. This is what I believe. These are the things that are important to me. So I have to, I have to have, make sure my calendar reflects what's important to me, or at least what I'm saying is important to me. Right. Yes. I, I have a metric I now call mental brain damage. So if somebody, <laughs> instead of, you know, like what's the cash on cash return for this investment, my, right. my calculator is how much mental brain damage is this opportunity going to cost me? Yeah, that's 100%. huge. <laughs> that's huge. And, and so like, I know that there's not like a formula or maybe you do have a formula for that, but like, no, no. (laughs) I wish that would be great. (laughs) Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? But I'm just thinking from like an entrepreneur's perspective, like I know that it's, and I'm leading this into some of my decision questions. And so like, is this a, is this a formula or at least like a thought of like, okay, when I'm considering a deal, I'm putting some certain, you know, pieces in place or some parameters. So that way, if it seems too complicated or seems too extra, then I'm just saying, no, is that kind of what you're saying? For, for me personally, it's really about how close does this align with what I'm trying to do and get to my goal. So yeah. if it is not something I fervently believe in, like there's a process, I don't know if we're allowed to curse, but there's the whole F yeah, you know? Yeah. So if you aren't saying that to an opportunity, you're yeah. not excited about it. You're not like, yes, let's do this. Then there's potentially, there's probably an underlying reason why you don't want to do that. Is it fear-based? And you just don't know how, and you can address that by breaking through some limiting beliefs, or is it genuinely just not part of who you are in your fabric? Yeah. Yeah. And if you have that clearly defined, what I've found is that then it's really easy to say no. Yes. If you don't, that's when you kind of waffle back and forth of like, well, it might, you know, eh, 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 you know, (laughs) back and forth. Right. Okay. Beth, you got anything to add there? I'd be curious to hear your thought if you had anything there. Well, speaking, well, okay, so F-bombs, but the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, right? Yeah, there you go. Best Revelations. I love that book. It was very clarifying for me in terms of what I really needed to get out of my life, my relationships, my business. And one of the key points that I think Mark Ronson was the author, what he said there was that your priorities are a reflection of your values. So how you spend your time, if you say that your, your family is your number one value your that's the core value of yours and you're spending all of your time on your business or with your professional connections and you see you know your real estate agent more than you see your kids is that truly your value and so that made me rethink how I was approaching our business and truly eliminating some of those what I would call ego-driven goals and objectives like Alex said it was just to buy a horse 
she's not out here to get famous and rich, not out to buy a mansion or be on a 150 foot yacht, which would be cool. But the whole goal was to be able to have the freedom to ride a horse and have those monthly stall payments made for her through passive income. And so just trying to keep that as a beacon, you know, values equal priorities, pure and simple. Yeah. I mean, Alex, what kind of horse do you have? I mean, geez, like we've heard about this horse. What, what kind of horse is it? Here's the bad part. I don't even have him yet. <laughs> He's got a name. I know exactly what he looks like. I'm very big on like manifesting to the universe. So I have it yeah. all right now. I know, I know awesome. where he's going to come from. He's got a name, the whole nine yards. I'm just waiting for kind of the different doors to open that somebody's yeah. going to come forward and say, Hey, I have this horse and be like, that's him. I'll know. I, I personally believe I'll know when that opportunity shows up. That's cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, the horse, I mean, the horses are, there's a lot of work there, a lot of steps to, to take caring of a horse. My, my dad's had several and he thinks that I should get some for my daughters and I'm <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> Although it would be fun. Like I think about the, the idea of like, oh, my daughter's out there riding. But then I think about then the rest. I'm like, nah, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. When they hit teenagers, I don't know how old they are now, but when they hit teenagers, you might want the horses in their life. <laughs> you know, my, my dad said the same thing and probably for the same reason that we're underlying, you know, that yes. we're not really, really saying here, but yes, hundred percent. I've got a little bit of time. We're, we're eight and six right now. So we're, we got some time. Okay. So I want to know we're transitioning into like good and bad decision. You guys kind of just gave me a little bit of your formula, looking at what you want, keeping it super clear, making good decisions toward that. Tell me about a good decision that you've made in the business that was just like spot on. If we can replicate this, then we're going to walk away with success also. Give me one of those. Oh, Beth, you got to take this, this one. <laughs> All right. A good decision that I would want to replicate is I was at this peak where I just felt like we were kind of stagnating on operational efficiencies. But again, we had a lot of business coming our way and we're fortunate that our conversion rate is decidedly low on purpose. We ended up turning away a lot of deals and, and choosing not to fund them. So I wasn't really worried about sales conversion, but I was worried about trying to maximize our productivity and our team. So I held a one day offsite to try and focus on how to improve the team dynamics. Yeah. And again, focusing on that one thing that would help propel us to that next level. Cause I knew we were capable of it. We just weren't cheap achieving optimal capacity at the moment. Yeah. And what I thought would be probably more centered around lead gen activities, the team isolated as administrative chaos. And that was pretty eye-opening for me when we talked about the things that were basically, you know, low hanging fruit that had the highest impact to steal a, a phrase out of David Finkel's Maui mastermind. It was automation. You know, what can we delegate out? What can we automate? What are the ways in which we could really focus on those A-level activities and get rid of the D-level activities? And so I ended up automating a lot of things systems-wise in a loan origination software, email templates, auto-doc generation, things that just took us, you know, 30 minutes here and there, but it adds up significantly during the day. And I would say that every entrepreneur and business owner needs to really evaluate what they have and kind of convert tribal knowledge into a set of standard operating procedures with some automation to it. Yeah. So I'm actually heard two things that you said there, of course, the automations and, and SOPs like that. <clears throat> we hear that a lot in, in building businesses. We need these things. But what I heard you say before that was that you, you took the time to have an offsite. 
you took the time to slow down in order to speed up. You were paying attention to your team. You were paying attention to your people. You were paying attention to the fact that there might have been things that they needed to say, but they needed space to say. And so I think that obviously that that's what got you the result that you're referring to, but it sounds like the, the, the former piece there was just as important. Do you think that? Yeah. I mean, I, I spent nearly 20 years in the telecom and tech industry doing training and, and development, employee engagement, every activity that I did was centered around human performance improvement. And so I think it really lent well to being in a situation where I was had a lot of you know headwinds at me as a business owner, but I knew how to address it. I learned early on that you have to slow down and pause in order to move forward quickly and more efficiently. And I think a lot, especially in the real estate industry, a lot of people have, don't come from the corporate world and so they don't have that kind of experience in process definition, process documentation. You know, for Alex and I, we are meant to be educators. That's what we were trained on. That's what our past lives were centered around. So it was a very easy transition for me to help make those changes for my team. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, w- I would say what the process Beth has described in my eyes is a process called Two Second Lean. If you haven't seen, read that book or listened to the book by Paul Akers, it's very much about efficiency. And actually part of their Two Second Lean program is every employee in the business spends the first 30 minutes on the clock, the first 30 minutes finding some way to save themselves, the company, whatever, two seconds, it's two seconds a day. So whether that's like she was talking about making email templates or something like that. So it's, it's actually comes from Toyota, the Toyota factory does Kaizen. So they just, the Americanized version is two second lean. And that's some of the background that I have is doing the two second lean and kind of breeding that into the culture, which is what Beth is actually putting into action out there in Seattle. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I think that it's a topic that a lot of entrepreneurs like hear. And like I don't I don't know if anybody listening today is going, "Oh, I've never heard the idea of becoming more efficient," you know, <laughs> or automation, right? But but the the implementation of it is we're stuck in busyness and we're stuck in doing the things. And so we think like, "Oh, I I've done this 17 times now. I should fill in the blank. I should create an automation. I should get an email template, whatever." But we're in that moment right there. And we're just like, I got to get to the next thing. And so we don't. And so then therefore it comes up 17 more times again. And, and so we just get stuck, right? <clears throat> the, the, I want to flip the coin here for a bad decision. So tell me about something that, that came along the, the journey here that was almost you know, catastrophic to the business that you would keep us, you would warn us away from. I would probably say, and Beth can probably back this up, bringing the wrong people on board or putting what you think is the right person in the wrong position. So if you have someone that's got a skill set that doesn't suit what that particular position is, like you don't want someone who isn't detail oriented being an underwriter. So, but someone who's detail oriented, you know, they might be good at being a a loan originator. They're going to pay attention to those things, but if they're not extroverted, they're still not going to be a great loan originator because you have to go out there and kind of sell your, your business, your products, what you're yeah. good at, what your competitive market is. Yeah. So from my opinion, I would say it's getting the right people in the right position. Yeah. Can you, can you give us a situation that you're thinking of that gives you that answer? Like, tell us, tell us how, like what happened to, that gave you that knowledge? 
it wouldn't be specifically for lending related, okay. but because I've yes. moved constantly, I've had a lot of different jobs. I've, I feel like I've lived 10 lives in this one, just because I've done so many different things across the country. Yeah. And when you walk in as like the new person into an organization and you, you have some sort of, you know, knowledge of the business, and then you start knowing the people you're like, this guy is a terrible leader. He's a fantastic human being, but he wants to be everybody's friend and he can't be a leader. Yeah. Or you have somebody who it's it's their job to be the forward-facing entity of whatever it is, whether they're the front person at the desk or whatever it happens to be, but they're not warm and friendly and engaging. Like you literally have to tell them, please smile when people walk in the door. Like right. that, you know, there's some people that naturally will do that. They'll see another human and they'll be like, great, hey, how you doing? And then there's other people like, can I help you? Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we've I think all experienced that. Yes. And it's, it becomes very different. And if I think so many people focus on the business plan that they don't understand or even make, take a moment to think about what the user experience is like, because I have this problem in short-term rentals because I own and manage short-term rentals. And our business plan is very much like high touch Southern hospitality. Like yep. I'm going to know your name. I'm going to ha- wish you happy birthday on your birthday. If you're staying over your birthday, like those little things are very important to me because that's my business model. So I have to put the right people in place that also care about those things. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Beth, you want to add anything there? <clears throat> I would say, you know, getting them out quickly if they aren't the right fit as well. And I think that's yeah. really hard for a lot of small business owners, because if you only have a few staff, and you have such a high volume, I think inherently it's easy to just assume that if you let go of a resource, you're going to be slammed when in fact, it's probably causing some more problems than, than it's being beneficial. So I think a lot of small business owners have, they're afraid of letting go of somebody because they're going to have to assume so much more responsibility when in fact, they can just either readjust and move team resources around and you're actually doing just fine, if not better, or backfill relatively quickly for either competency or core values. And you just hit the ground running and it's, it's not a problem. But I think there's a lot of fear for a lot of small business owners. Like I can't let them go because I just can't afford to. The headcount yeah. loss would be too great. Yeah. Spot on. Actually, I want to say two things on that. The, 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 the person that is afraid of losing the one it doesn't have anything in the pipeline. It's just, the, it's like the salesperson that doesn't have a pipeline. They got commission breath. They, they, they're holding on so tight to the one deal, you know, or they're strangling the guy out. You know, it's the same thing with what you're saying is if I don't, if I'm not constantly meeting people and attracting, you know, new team members and putting people in a, in a backfill, like you said, then there's no, there's no opera. I don't give myself any wiggle room. And then to your other point, I have talked to so many entrepreneurs when they actually have let that person go, the rest of their team were like, thank goodness, we didn't know when you were going to do that. But now that you did, we actually now think that you mean what you say. And so don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. But, but while that person was there, they, did, they, they were like, do I really want to follow this guy? Because he's like, he's not saying, he's not doing what he's saying. And so then therefore now I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain. So therefore my work is uncertain, but yeah, I think that a lot of people experience one or the other on those, you know, we're pretty okay, fortunate because so- a lot of people in our team are like family friends. Yeah. I mean, it can be kind of dicey. I think there, there's two schools of thought on that, but we've been pretty lucky to have a team that we really genuinely consider each other family. So it's been pretty great. Yeah. And I, I, I think I second that. I think that <clears throat> family can be dicey or hiring family of a team member. But what I have found is that if 
that's usually the case for stickiness, like in, in most of the case, like it's a good scenario. And the few that it hasn't been, the one employee that that they know that the other person and, and the family, they're, they, they're like, I know that they're not performing, like lop off the lop it off, you know, like it, I'm, I give you the permission. And usually they're pretty honest about it because they're they're just as disappointed, I have found, at least in my experience. So hopefully you guys don't have to experience that. But I want to ask you about a like a we we talked about on the front end getting it connected to like what you like, but is there any sort of like life discipline that you've had to keep decisions like productive, like good decision after good decision after good decision? Any sort of habit that you have where you like take things like decisions through a process, anything like that? I would say for me personally, I have this kind of, I guess, mental image of I just need to know the next couple of steps. I don't need to see the whole staircase. I just need to know the next couple of steps. And like, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the movie Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones, where he's like, I can only fight what's in front of me. And that's kind of how I have to approach it is like, I need to just know the next two or three steps. And as long as I have that overarching kind of, here's what I'm here for, here's my philosophy, here's what I'm trying to get out. As long as I can figure out those next two or three steps, once I'm there, then that's given me time to grow. And then the next two or three steps, just like Beth was saying earlier, just kind of magically appear, opportunity opens the door and you're like, all right, we're on to the next one. Do you feel like if if someone's stuck too many steps further that it's like analysis paralysis, they don't do anything or they just kind of get stuck in their head maybe? Yeah, absolutely. It just becomes very insurmountable. You know, they're just like, well, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, oh yeah, I want to buy that $5 million house, but you know, I'm, I'm renting an apartment. Like that just becomes like too big of a leap for them to do it. So they just won't even start, even though every journey starts with that first step, they just won't even start if the steps are too big. Yeah. That's huge. That's That's why everyone needs a counterpoint though. Right. Cause Alex is the visionary that just thinks right. What's sees what's right in front of her face. I'm the complete opposite. I'm the integrator. And so I'm always thinking about the, the impacts, the unforeseen consequences. But I think it, again, I think what we co- talked before the call started was the creative discourse. That's, that's my checks and balances, right? I need to have, my husband's a visionary. Alex is my, my visionary and I'm very much squarely in the manager role. And so she helps prevent me from analysis paralysis and I help, you know, calm the impulsivity to say, well, let's, we might want to tweak this just a smidge. Right. But then we're plowing forward. And that's why we have a book coming out. So I love it. (laughs) Literally. I, I, I mean, we've, we've talked integrator visionary on so many shows, but to have, to have one of each right here in the flesh, pretty cool. And, and, and actually cool to hear it from the integrator's perspective, because, you know, a lot of business owners are, are visionaries, right? Like they're, they're out there looking for the opportunity to, to have somebody else implement. And, and sometimes that's hard. And so do you guys think you attracted to each other because you guys knew that about each other or what, like, how did you find that you were those two pieces and then together it came? I don't know if there was one specific moment, Beth, it was, I, I, like she said earlier, we kind of organically just hit it off and our foundations are very similar. How we kind of got started were very similar but then in other things, we are complete and totally black and white opposite. It's quite funny. So we just, we just kind of, we, I think we had enough similarity and foundation where we realized really quickly, like, even if we don't agree constantly on everything or somebody's got a shortfall or somebody's got a strength that it's like, okay, cool. I don't have to mess with that. I'm happy you have that strength. Please go on. It's not, you're not bringing ego to the table. You just kind of right. realize we have enough similarities in our goals and who we are as a person 
that how we get to that goal might be a different process for each of us, but that's where we come together. We have those talks. Let's tweak this. Let's do that. I'm like, nope, you know, progress is better than perfection. It's because we're women too, Alex. (laughs) I'm going to do a little bit of a gender generalization here. She's one of those female visionaries. Most of them are men inherently in the entrepreneur world. And most integrators tend to be women, but Alex still has that knack for execution too, Mm. right? Like not lost in the clouds completely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, she's one of the first people because an integrator, we get worn out, right? Like I'm exhausted all the time. I'm, I become a martyr because I have too much on my plate, even though I know that's squarely my role. And Alex was one of the first people that, you know, we talked about a, just a, a, a vision for having a book or creating a course to help other people like, you know, me when I, on, when I was on my journey and she just did it. It was awesome. Like, when do I ever get a chance to have somebody carry me across the finish line? Usually it's me carrying other people across the finish line because that's my role. So I have to give Alex a lot of credit because as a visionary, she still has a high degree of execution, which I just find incredible because you just don't have that in a lot of people. Yeah, no, that's so true. And, and it's really cool. You guys probably just do this all the time, but to like, from my perspective, I mean, I study personalities, I study, you know, how the inner workings of, of seats and roles. And like, this is like, this is my lane. And to watch you guys talk right here, the, even just the, the, the caveats that you guys are going back and forth on, it's so real. And I can tell it without even asking any more questions, but you guys have something special is my point. You probably already know that, but yeah, it, it's going to be fun to watch, you know, the book and the course and, and then even there's the rest of what you guys do, but because you guys have that, that, you know, lined up a lot of major things can happen. So I'm excited for you guys. Are you guys ready for the speed round? Bring it on. Bring it on. Okay. One word answers if possible, but I'm notorious for, for asking further questions. So first question is this, if you could only pick one metric in your business to track forever and ever, what one metric would it be? Mm, I'm going to say happiness. Okay. I'm going to let Beth answer. It's going business round. Okay. Can I steal hers? (laughs) No. What, what would you have said if you didn't hear hers? That's what I want to know. Well, it sounds so mechanical now. No, I want to productivity. I hate that. I don't like it anymore. No, it, it, <laughs> it is the glorious thing of visionary and integrator. I mean, come on. Like you, you have to see that. Like you have to own that answer. Okay. So I want to know why productivity came to your mind first. No, I'm an efficiency girl. I feel like I'm, it's just, it's just drilled into me. I, I hate wasting time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And why happiness? Alex, I have lived long enough being unhappy. So I have now decided that, you know, life is short and I'm going to spend that time with people I care about. I'm going to construct my life my way and I'm going to be happy. There you go. Love it. Okay. What book would you guys, you guys have already thrown out several, but what book would you recommend a six figure owner read specifically trying to scale to a seven figure or plus mark? Oh, I'm going to tell you mine, but you might not have heard it before. Mm, Okay. Give it to us. All right. It's called Psycho Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And it is honestly, to me, it's like the godfather of all the like self-development books that are now out and popular because it was written back in the sixties. And my father actually made me read it when I was in high school. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And then I've actually, I usually try to read it once a year now as an adult. But the reason I say that for business specifically is the main premise of the book is really kind of, I think now we call it fake it till you make it, but you're doing a lot of mental visualization. So if you are currently a six figure, we'll say CEO, and you want to be a seven figure CEO, 
Well then, okay, what is that seven figure CEO doing? What do they look like? What are their actions? What are they thinking? And the more you can repeat that in your brain, that's why dreams feel so real is because your brain can't tell the difference between something that you dreamed and something that's actually happening in front of you. So if you have those constant creative visualizations of I'm a seven figure CEO, this is what I'm doing. This is what I look like. Your, your body has to react because it, it counts that as a quote unquote memory. Yeah. <clears throat> Love it. Okay. Beth. David Finkel's scale. Okay. Um, and again, that's kind of the source of Maui Mastermind that has conceptually given me a lot of, I mean, I was part of EOA long, long time ago, was six figures trying to get to that entrepreneur's organization threshold of 1 million plus in gross revenue. Right. And I just feel like there's a lot of really great points in there to help you get to that next level. Love it. Okay. And do you now network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Constantly. Okay. And why? I really dislike the phrase, your network becomes your net worth, because I think that places premise, too much premise on the relationship that I'm going to get something from this relationship. So we've actually kind of formed kind of informally a private lending mastermind where we get together three, four times a year. We get on Zoom calls weekly and we are intentional about what we can offer the other people in the group. So we're coming to this network to help as opposed to what can I get from this network? So I think for both of us, that's always been a very important aspect in how we relate to people. It's not what can I get from this person, but it's what can I give this person? Yeah, I love that. Beth, you want to add anything? I kind of consciously chose last year to remove myself from more formalized networking with entrepreneurs and business owners. So I was just kind of burnt out. You know, I've been onboarding people for four years and I just finally reached a point where I don't have to work in the business anymore. And I, kind of want to keep that for a while with, you know, slightly lowered goals or bars to reach. But I like the more informal approach now. I think a lot of real estate business owners like poker and golf. I don't golf. So we end up doing a lot of real informal gatherings with a lot of our friends. We have a a house in the desert. And so we just did that last week with a good friend that runs a very successful seven-figure wholesaling business. And it's just great to enjoy each other's company. It's at the same time, you're just jamming on, you know, what are you going to do next? And I love those kind of casual conversations one-on-one more than I can get out of EO or, or any yeah. sort of mastermind at the moment. Yeah. I love it. That, yeah. There's a place and seasons. Mm-hmm. It seems like where, where different things offer different value. Okay. Last question, but I want you each to answer. Okay. If you lost it all, what would you do? Go Beth, since I've been answering first. I want to hear this. Well, I, I run away with my husband. Uh, <laughs> am I going to keep my boat? <laughs> if I get to keep my boat, then we'll go away on a boat trip and enjoy each other. You know, we talked about it often awesome. when you run a business with your husband, like you want to, you want to get rid of each other a lot in the beginning. <laughs> right. And you just can't, cause you got kids involved, you got a business and team. So we would gladly sacrifice all of it to maintain what he and I have, which is a second chance at love. You know, both of us were married previously. So for me, it does not matter. He and my children, that's what matters the most. Okay. And, and Alex, what would you do? Uh, I would 100%, I would go back to family. My family's from the deep South. I'm a Southern girl. 
being in the military, we haven't gotten stationed in the South very much. So I would go home. I've been very, I'm the oldest of a crap ton of kids, Irish Catholic parents. We know how this goes. <laughs> a lot of my younger siblings have been seeing what I do in real estate and they've been asking questions and they are kind of, they're not so much following in my footsteps, but they're, they're at least interested in their peak. So I feel like I could go back to my family and start some sort of family business if needed. Yeah. Yeah. And it, w- it would be fine. You know, I've, if I've built it up once, I can do it again. That's kind of the nice thing about entrepreneurship. Like you can develop those skills and they apply to pretty much any business you start. It's just a matter of rinse and repeat until you make enough successful decisions. That's right. Alex, Love. we both know we just write another book and source another <laughs> level of passive, passive income pretty quickly too. That's right. Yeah. Once you've done it, like you're saying, it's, it's hard to remove the knowledge when you can just hit the repeat button. So ladies, this has been incredibly fun. And so you guys have a super dynamic relationship. If someone was just connecting with you guys, maybe they want to get the book. Maybe they want to follow along. Maybe they want to figure out what you're doing next, how they can get involved. They want to reach out. How can they find you guys? There's a couple different places. We obviously we're on bigger pockets. We're in the forums quite frequently. We have a book coming out July 28th about from bigger pockets about private lending. We also run a Facebook community that we have open office hours every other week. So you can literally just log in and and come have a conversation with us. The group is called Lend to Live Private Lending Lessons. So 100% free to join that. Connect with us on LinkedIn. We're both on LinkedIn pretty frequently posting on there as well. And I'm definitely the, the the talker. Beth loves to talk to people, but she's always like, you go talk to them. But I think <laughs> she's busy both, implementing. She's busy am. doing things. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we genuinely love to talk to people about private lending, about real estate, because there's just, like you said before, it's just, you could make it whatever you want. It's so flexible and, and definitely private lending fits that bill. Yeah. hundred percent. Good. Beth, you want to add anything there as far as how to connect with you guys? No, Alex hit it all. You can find my contact information on my company's website too. It's just flynnfamilylending.com, F-L-Y-N-N. Perfect. Okay. Ladies, so incredible to meet you both and such value that you've given. I, I don't take lightly the almost hour that we've done this. Wow. With two people, it goes a little longer, but I think it was so worth it for the listeners to, to hear what you guys have been through and currently building right now. So thank you for inspiring us and giving us your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings.
talk soon.